0: We're still in Genesis for the foreseeable future, and um, we made it through uh, chapter 1 and the first few verses of chapter 2, and um, we're going to try and get through the end of chapter 2 tonight. We're looking at Genesis 2 verses 4 through 31. I think I'm going to just go ahead and read through it all, and then we'll come back and And see what the Lord has for us. Um, Verse 4. This is the history of the heavens and the earth when they were created in the day that the Lord God made the earth and the heavens. Before any plant of the field was in the earth, before any herb of the field had grown, for the Lord God had not caused it to rain on the earth, and there was no man to till the ground. But a mist went up from the earth, and watered the whole face of the ground. And the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living being. The Lord God planted a garden eastward in Eden, and there he put the man who he had formed. And out of the ground the Lord God made every tree grow that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. The tree of life was also in the midst of the garden and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Now a river went out of Eden to water the garden. And from there it parted and became four riverheads. The name of the first one is Pishon. It is the one that skirts the whole land of Havilah, where there is gold. And the gold of that land is good. Bdellium and the onyx stone are there. And the name of the second river is Gihon. It is the one which goes around the whole land of Cush. The name of the third river is Hidekel. It is the one which goes toward the east of Assyria. And the fourth river is the Euphrates. And then the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to tend it and keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden you may freely eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in that day you eat of it, you shall surely die. And the Lord God said, "Is not, It is not good that man should be alone, and I will make him a helper comparable to him. Out of the ground, the Lord God formed every beast of the field and every bird of the air and brought them to Adam to see what he would call them, and whatever Adam called each living creature, that was its name. And so Adam gave names to all the cattle, to all the birds of the air and to every beast of the field. But for Adam there was not found a, a helper Comparable to him. And the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall on Adam, and he slept, and he took one of his ribs, and closed up the flesh in its place. Then the rib which the Lord God had taken from man he made into a woman, and he brought her to the man. And Adam said, This is now bone of my bones, flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, because she was taken out of man. Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother, and be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And they were both naked, the man and his wife, and were not ashamed. Interesting chapter. There's a lot to talk about, far more than we can do in an hour. And uh, there's all kinds of things we'll kind of tie into here a little bit. Um, and I'd much rather we we have you guys see it in the Word, and so I'm just going to have you go into a lot of cross-references. But... Uh, This is the first time in verse 4 where the Lord's name is Jehovah God. It says the Lord God in your Bibles. And that's his name, Jehovah. Prior to that it was Elohim, now it's Yahweh. And he calls it the history of the heavens and earth when they were created. Not a recap of chapter 1, really, but now basically setting the stage for people, places, and things. Um, Adam and Eve, the Garden of Eden, and the things there. So he kind of he recaps it, or I shouldn't say it's not necessarily a complete recap of the pre- first chapter, but it, it kind of just goes through how it came about. And so the first of all was the heavens and the earth and the firmament we talked about. Verse 5, before the plants and the herbs, uh, because there was no rain and verse 6, a mist went up between the waters and the firmament. And the face of the ground is what some of the subject is tonight, um, out of which came plants animals and also verse 7 out of the ground God formed man now the word formed is basically fashioned or framed and it's also the same way he made the animals and the fowl also out of the ground in chapter 1 the dust of the ground dry earth the ground of the land the earth to which we return to when the life has gone out of us we kind of think, well, how did God form and make dust into man? Well, it kind of goes the opposite. If you, Once we die, we turn, return right back into dust. And, um, so, but it says that he breathed. And that word breathed is to blow or breath, breathe out, and specifically into the nostrils. Now, the breath of life, the word there for breathed is nipak, Equals breathe 17 times in the word. Means blast three times. Means spirit twice in the word for that particular word. Inspiration and souls once each. The breath of God and the breath of man. And every breathing thing this word is used for. Now the word of life means simply to be alive. That breath that brings life. So here's dirt put together into all these tubes and sticks and, and you know everything that makes us up. And uh, he breathes into that dirt, and it becomes alive. Now, it's not the same as in chapter 1, verse 2, the Spirit of God. The word spirit there, because you know, many times people think the word spirit means simply breath. And, uh, but breath is um, different here in chapter 1, verse 2, where it talks about the Spirit of God. That is Ruah means a living spirit or the person of a living being 232 times in scriptures uh, for the Lord and for us. It means simply wind 92 times, breath 27 times, and there's a few other that's used once here or there. And so it's different than it is here where God breathed into Adam. He breathed life into him, gave him breath um, in Chapter 1, that spirit is the actual spirit of a person. But at that point, man became, it says, that means comes into existence a living, alive being or soul. And we often talk about the soul. And I've already heard poets say, tell me if you can, what is the soul of a man? And that's something that your scientists are never going to be able to tell you. There's no way. I've come across... Very crazy individuals that seem to think that once a guy dies, he loses like three quarters of a pound, so he can, you know, basically say that his soul was three quarters of a pound. Well, anyway, I don't know why that came to mind, but that was—you just see, you run into all kinds of people, right? Um, but it's—it's it's, uh, a soul is yourself. Your soul is a life. It's a creature, a person having appetite a mind, a desire, emotion, passion. It's an activity of the will, an activity of character. That's your soul. And soul is an individual. Um, Unlike any animal or any other kind, um, animals are living creatures and have breath, but not like that of a human soul. God created animals out of the dust, as they are, but he breathed life himself into a man to make us living creatures, whereas the animals he did not. Also in chapter 1, 26 through 29, in God's image and likeness, we were made. Not the animals, we were made. Not necessarily the exact same physical body, but what kind of likeness was he talking about? And, um, you know, it's a sovereign individual with their own active, sovereign will an active, sovereign character. What do I mean by sovereign? Well, you're self-governing. You're autonomous. You have a will. You're active as a person, as a soul. You know, you're one of a kind, um, not just one in a million. An individual, and unlike any other human being, a soul and a single soul. Two different spellings. S-O-U-L is a soul. A single soul would be like a soul survivor, sole proprietor, one, just one of a kind. That is the soul that dwells in each one of us. There's no two alike. There's all kinds of different variations of faces and bodies and personalities. And then after the Tower of Babel, there's all kinds of different backgrounds and cultures and customs and societies. Many lives with different stories, but one Bible, one God. And how does God see mankind? For that, let's turn to Job. 10 and looking at verse 8 through 12. Job says, your hands have made me and fashioned me an intricate unity, yet you would destroy me. And that's for what he's going through. But describing the human being, remember I pray that you have made me like clay and you will turn me into dust again, or I should say in question form, and will you turn me into dust again? Did you not pour me out like milk and curdle me like cheese and clothe me with skin and with flesh and knit me together with bones and sinews? And here it is. You have granted me life and favor and your care has preserved my spirit. And you have granted me life and favor and he's preserving our spirits. An intricate unity And the ability to preserve our spirits, you know, um, Jesus was, when he was on the cross, you know, he gave up his spirit. Nobody took it from him. And in the same way, you know, someone may take our lives, but it's the Lord and only the Lord that um, allows that. And when he allows our spirit to depart, in Psalm 8, uh, verses 3 through 9, How does God think of us? The whole psalm is awesome, but just to do 3 through 9 is, When I consider your heavens and the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have ordained, what is man that you are mindful of him, and the son of man that you visit him? Well, you made him a little lower than the angels, and you have crowned him with glory and honor. You made him to have dominion over the works of your hands, and we read about that last week. You have put all things under his feet, all sheep and oxen, even the beasts of the field and the birds of the air and the fish of the sea, all that pass through the paths of the seas. And O oh Lord, our Lord, how excellent is your name in all the earth. He is mindful of us. In Psalm 119:73, just one verse, I'll read it if you don't want to flip. It says, Your hands have made me and fashioned me. And it says, You give me understanding that I might learn your commandment. That's that soul that God's put into us the ability to have an active will, a sovereign will that He has fashioned in us, that He can give us understanding. In Psalm 139, we'll do 13 through 18. It says, For you have formed my inward parts. You have covered me in my mother's womb. I will praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are your works, and that my soul knows very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in secret and skillfully wrought in the lowest parts of the earth. Your eyes saw my substance being yet unformed. In your book they are all written. The days fashioned for me, when as yet there were none of them. How precious also are your thoughts towards me, O God! How great is the sum of them! If I should count them, they would be more than the numbers of the sand. And when I awake, I am still with you. And, you know, his thoughts towards us. he can't even count them. He knows our inward parts. Talks about being made in the, the hidden parts and in the 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 depths of the earth in a secret place wrought in the lowest parts of the earth well you know we were made when you know when we were born you know prior to when we were born that the conception is when we were made he's talking about our souls he's talking about that which he breathed into us and that he knew before our days were even there and um and again, there's those that get a little off track here thinking that our souls have always been around and Mormons and so forth where, uh, you know, then we now are in po- inhabit this body, but soon we'll get our own planet and we'll be off to some other place in a different body. And it's false teaching. You know, we began, our lives began. Adam began when God breathed into him. Our lives began when, when we were conceived. And that's when he made us in those depths, in those secret places fearfully and wonderfully made marvelous skillfully made in secret you know i my whole life pretty much i've been fairly healthy but last fall i i wouldn't even talk about this but last fall i had to actually go have a surgery and i'm sitting there thinking these guys are going to open me wide open they're going to be in there you know doing all this business are there any doctors in the room you know <laughs> any surgeons this is their day every day. They look at all the, the workings that go on inside of us. You know, this is what medicine is these days, and and it's it's wonderful. It's it's I can't imagine there's a doctor who's an atheist, seeing how wonderfully we're made, and uh, but yet, uh, you know, God made us, seen before formed, written before we were born, each day fashioned when there were none. Precious are His thoughts towards us he loves us so much if you don't take anything else home tonight take Psalm 139 with you and check it over again tonight when you're about to go go to bed and you know his thoughts towards us it makes it a lot more easy for us to consider just coming before him and talking to him doesn't it so why did god create mankind the question really revelation 4 if you haven't got your finger there already um, verses 8 through 11. And we're just looking uh, at the meaning of why He created us. Their context is different without getting into that. But the four living creatures, each having six wings, were full of eyes around and within, and they do not rest day or night, saying, Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, Who was and is and is to come. And whenever the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to him who sits on the throne, whoever lives forever and ever. Then the twenty-four elders fall down before him who sits on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever, and cast their crowns before the throne, saying, You are worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power. Why? Because you created all things. Why? Why? Because your will, they exist and were created. Look at, back at Colossians. He created us. It's, it was his will. He desired to create us. That's why. Colossians 1.13-22. Verse 13, it says, He has delivered us from the power of darkness and conveyed to us the kingdom of the Son of his love. In whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. Notice this, by him all things were created that are in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones, dominions, or principalities, or powers. All things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things consist, including us. And he is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning of the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he may have the preeminence. But look at this. For it pleased the Father that in him all the fullness should dwell, and by him to reconcile all things to himself by him, whether things on earth, things in heaven, having made peace through the blood of his cross. And you who were once alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now he has reconciled in the body of his flesh through death to present you holy and blameless and above reproach in his sight. Why did he create us? Well, it wasn't meant to be like it. You know, He didn't create us in order to fall in sin. But there was a fall. Next chapter, next week. And there is sin. But he created us to be holy and to be with him, to be reconciled to him. And so... uh, before there was a need for a reconciliation, that was Adam and Eve in the garden. That was walking with God. That was fellowship with God. What is our part? In 1 Corinthians 5.9, just one verse. I'll read it if... Uh, or is it second? Second Corinthians? I'm sorry. 5, nine. It says, Therefore, we make it our aim, whether present or absent, to be well-pleasing to him. That's our part. Knowing all this, Knowing what he has done, knowing his thoughts towards us, knowing that he created us and knows every cell in our bodies and holds it all together, why not live a life pleasing to him? Make it our our aim to live a life pleasing to him. So, going back to Genesis chapter 2, looking at now verses 8 through 16, the Lord God planted a garden. Boy, you know, I like a good garden. Mary has these gardens out back and we had vegetables for a while and now we kind of just moved it over to mostly flowers and what did Rudy call it? A butterfly garden, I guess, or something like that they call it. But she's got the monarchs back there and the whole bit. But uh, you sit out on the deck and you just enjoy a summer afternoon when it's calm and, and uh, look at the garden. Can you imagine the garden that God made? You know, And he describes it to us a little bit. Plants a garden. All the trees came up out of the ground. Now two trees of note. There's more in chapter 3 on this. But the first one is mentioned once, the tree of life. And, uh, but then there's the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And this is the first time the word evil is mentioned in the Bible. And um, there's a source of one river, out of which divided into four. And then uh, he put man in the garden, to tend the garden. Now, so here's Adam. He's in the garden. God puts a tree in the garden. And and he says, you know, in verse 16, the Lord commanded the man, saying, of every tree of the garden you may freely eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in that day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. And so... All of a sudden now here's Adam. He's in this garden looking at all this beauty, walking with the Lord. And now there's this tree right in front of him. It says, no touchy. I don't, do not eat of that tree. And the day that you eat of that tree, you'll die. What is that? Why all of a sudden now there's something here that I I have to think about? And it's not just a garden to enjoy. There's something I need to be careful well, because he now introduces this thing called choice. Now there's, there's a, a created in his image, a living being, a sovereign individual with a soul, and God now gives man a choice. That's why the tree. In fact, that's throughout Scripture. We'll see what how important choice is. Uh, he puts something in front of him and says, don't touch this. The only explanation is that God wanted to give him a choice. If we take, these couple of verses chronologically, God told Adam directly. Eve wasn't taken out of Adam yet. So Eve never really got the word directly from the Lord that we know of. And so Adam was told, Eve is also a sovereign individual accountable for her own actions. Adam's a sovereign individual accountable for his, accountable for his own actions and decisions. And uh, you know so is Eve. I cannot accept... Calvinism, for these verses alone. There is a tree. You have a choice. You are told, commanded not to touch that tree. And there it is. Well, we know what happens in the next chapter. If you go through the, you know, Adam and Eve clearly have a choice. Look up in the word chosen. Just take your Bible app and look up the word chosen. Look up the word ordained in the New Testament. And you will see plainly that God has chosen and ordained us. He is predestined and preordained. And he says, I have chosen you, you have not chosen me. And then look up, whosoever, will, if, to look up the word if, and you will plainly see you have choice. If you do this, then that. God gave us a choice. He gave us a free will. Throughout scripture, God says, if you will believe or heed or obey or listen to or do so we know that god's given us a choice i can't i cannot accept calvinism clearly god's given us a free will and a choice it's bigger than me we love him because he first loved us that's reciprocal that's not that that uh, he imposed love for us to love him you know he does command us to love him but it's a free will and he loved us first we love him in response that's reciprocal and if you know what i mean uh, we are chosen and we choose. Both are true. It's beyond my ability to understand. But if love is not a choice and a willing decision, well, then we're just robots. And that's just my simple... And there's a a whole world out there full of Calvinists that'll want to sit down and debate with you. And it's going to be about a whole lot of words. And it's going to be about debate more than it is about coming to any agreement. And that's the way it goes because it just turns into an argument bottom line is there's a tree you got a choice it doesn't seem any plainer to me where's the desire where's the passion where's the comfort the love and the communion with our maker if we're just robots verse 18 carries that thought look it says you know there is something that he made that was not good if you look at verse 18 the lord god said it is not good that man should be alone so I will make him a helper, comparable to him, As my new King James. Um, the King James simply says, for him, someone to love, more choice. Um, there's no reason to love Eve if, if she's just a robot doll and she doesn't have a choice in the matter to love you back. I mean, it just is so plain to me how choice is such a big part and individual uh, you know, will. Love is a response. There's love and there's a response to love, as it is with Eve as well. The list for how God and what God created says about woman is, first of all, they're good for man. He says it right here in verse 18. And he says, very good. This is the first where he says, pleasant, agreeable, valuable, appropriate, is the meaning of this word. Becoming for the better, glad, happy, prosperous. This is that good that is good for man, why he created. calls her a helper, the word helpmate. Now, in the Scriptures, that word is used twice concerning women, but 19 times of God in that same word, a helpmate. One who helps, one who aids. And that's exactly the way it is with God who helps us in the same way. Um, That's why God created and brought her to him. Comparable again is for him. It simply means in front of him, about him, in plain sight. You know, just right there. This is. These are the words. And again, I'm just gonna do a Bible study on what's said here, and I don't really know about what goes. I do know about what goes on, but there's. I don't know what to say about what goes on in the world because this is the truth. This is why things are. This is the way God made things, and however that battle comes down and what people try to do to twist it is fine. They can do that, but they're just denying what God said he did. And uh, man was made from the dust out of the ground. God breathed life into him. Woman came out of man, out of life, and also through whom all life on this planet comes. Every human being comes through woman. And so, to recount, in verses 19 and 20, animals, they were named when you name something, it establishes authority. If you name some your kid, well, it's, you name that kid for a reason. But also, you're the parent. You name them. Uh, that in many cultures, you know, people are named by specific individuals who will have authority over them, and that's just what that means. You know, God gave the animals had Adam, and we know from verse one that he was to um, he was to subdue the world, uh, the animals, uh, man and woman both. We learn that in chapter 1. And from man came the woman. Now man needs help. He says, she is your helpmate. Well, you know, to do what? Well, to subdue. To rule the creatures. Not each other. You know, to be fruitful. to To multiply. Helpmate. Bone and flesh, verse 24. It says, therefore or in verse 24, verse uh, 23. Um, this is now bone of my bones, flesh of my flesh, flesh, and she shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. And then it says in verse 24, Therefore, rejoining, um, therefore man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And, um, It says, uh, therefore rejoining one flesh, become one again, taken out of, but then brought back to become one again. Now, the following passages have their foundation. They use Genesis 1 and 2 for their authority, and nothing changes with regards to these things. Um, At this point, if you want to turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 11, we're just going to take a few segments. I don't want... I hope you don't get hung up on head coverings. That's not the context of what I want to talk about tonight. There are truths in this chapter besides long hair, short hair, and wearing a hat. Um, But uh, just to take what is true about marriage and a husband and a wife in the New Testament. So chapter 11, verses 3 and 4. But I want you to know that the head of every man is Christ. The head of every woman is man, and the head of Christ is God. Every man praying or prophesying, having his head uncovered, will dishonor his head. Verses 7 and 9. For a man indeed ought not to cover his head, since he is the image and the glory of God, but the woman is the glory of man. For man is not from woman, but woman from man. Nor was man created for the woman, but woman for the man. In verses 11 and 12. Nevertheless, neither is man independent of woman, nor woman independent of man in the Lord. There's a condition there. For as the woman came from man, even so man also comes through the woman, but all things are from God. In other words, yes, there is no human life on this planet that did not come through a woman, and therefore he's saying plainly right here, you're not independent. There's no, there's no special category here. As far as this is concerned, human life comes through the woman. Now this is God's design. I'm not up here to, to tell you, you know this is not some design from men in order to subjugate anybody. Go to First Peter three. I just want to read verse seven for the one truth. There's going to be plenty of time to spend in the rest of this chapter, and it's all good, but just for the one truth about that honor. Husbands, likewise, dwell with them with understanding, giving honor to the wife as to the weaker vessel and as being heirs together of the grace of life that your prayers may not be hindered. What's The truth I'm looking to bring out here is that they're heirs together. There's no difference. And I'm I'm talking about they because I'm a guy. So, you know, it's hard when I'm sitting... And I'll I'll explain this a little bit here, but the truth of it is... um, us guys need to see that and hear that. and you gals need to know that, that you're co-heirs. There's no difference. and I'm sure you do know that. Um, but the grace of life, Galatians three, a couple more. Galatians 3:26 through29, says, "For you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus." For as many as you were baptized into Christ and have put on Christ, there is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is neither fa- male or female, for you are all one in Christ. And if you are Christ's, then you are Adam, Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. When it comes to being in the Lord, you're co-heirs. You're one in Christ. Now, Often what makes this uncomfortable for some is not necessarily what's being taught, but who's doing the teaching. Um, A pastor should always teach the whole counsel of God. That's what I'm doing here tonight. It might be uncomfortable. But Paul told Timothy that spiritual and mature women of the body of believers are the ones to instruct the younger gals uh, the mothers should teach their daughters all this. This is a very practical way to be a helpmate to your husband since the father's commanded to train up his children in the way of the Lord. You know, that's, there's a, it's just simple help being a helpmate to, to teach your daughters all these things. Not many have born-again parents. And there are women of all ages here that want to know God and want to know his word. And there are women in our fellowship who are godly women able to teach what God's Word has to say to everybody, women of all ages and to new believers. We have women's Bible studies and we have um, luncheons and there's fellowship and encouragement. Also, there's books by women of godly character like Elizabeth George and Debbie Bryson. I think uh, most of you guys know we have those books here in our library. Things like that. That's... Pretty much all I have to say about that subject tonight, back to Genesis 2. Um, just looking at 24 through 20, or 22 through 24, kind of changing the subject a little bit. Then the rib which the Lord God had taken from man, he made into a woman, and he brought her to the man. Adam said, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. And she shall be called woman because she was taken out of a man. And notice this it says, Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. How does God define this relationship? Joined means to cling to, to be close to, to stay. Marriage defined the one for the other for life. Well, what does it say about parents? I mean, your parents when you get married. Well, it says, leave them. <laughs> it says, lose them. Depart from them. Leave alone, that word means. Let alone, set free, let go, that word means. Does that mean we stop honoring our parents just because we got married? Well, no. Uh, but their influence influence now is out of the picture when it comes to you and your wife. Leave and cleave. It, uh, it says simply, you know, leave his mother leave his father, be joined to his wife. Certainly, grandparents should be able to be an example and also help teach their grandchildren as well. But always in support of the parents, not seeking to divide or sway the kids one way or another and going against what the parents are trying to raise their kids. Nor should anybody be allowed by the husband or the wife or anybody to divide a marriage. What the Lord has joined together. Let's look at it, Matthew 19. Bet you didn't think you were coming out for a study like this tonight, did you? Matthew 19:4 through 6 They were trying to trick Jesus again, trying to give him a scenario to, to get him to say something that they could hold against him. But he says in verse 4, And he answered and said to them, Have you not read that he who made them at the beginning made them male and female? And he said, For this reason a man shall leave his father and his mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall come become one flesh. So then they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore what God has joined together let no man, neither him nor her or any other man, put asunder. You know, beware those that were put asunder, separate, divide, or depart. Beware of those that are going to act like or talk like, you know, about you or about your spouse to you. In any way that begins to turn your heart from them. And especially when they would turn your heart away from what God's word says regarding marriage and regarding your spouse. Even in the slightest bit, because this causes division, seeks to drive a wedge. I mean, just, just gossip, slander, whatever it is. Uh, whatever kind of attitude some people have to, to talk about their husbands or wives, or to get you to talk about your husband or your wife. Our enemy is quick to use this to destroy. It's one of his favorite tools, even the slightest bit. Um, It says, be joined together, stick together, stay close, cleave to each other, and forsake all the rest. Look at Ephesians 5, verse 31. Really the entire context, we should go back to 22. It says, wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. Underline, as to the Lord. Because, you know, he might not necessarily seem one way or the other when it comes to that. But you're not doing it as unto him. You're doing it as unto the Lord. For the husband's the head of the wife, as also Christ is the head of church, and he is the Savior of the body. Therefore, just as the church is subjected to Christ, so let the wives be subject to their own husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her. What's the example? Our Lord and Savior, who did what? Who died on the cross. He gave up his, he literally gave up his life and was separated from the Father. That kind of love, guys. Love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her, that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of the water by the word, being in the Bible together as a family, that he might present her to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and without blemish. That's what the Lord did for us as believers. And so husbands ought to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. What's the saying? Happy wife, happy life. (laughs) But, uh, you know, for for whoever hated their own flesh, but nourishes it, cherishes it, just as the Lord does the church. For we are all members of his body, of his flesh, and of his bones. For this reason... A man shall leave his father and his mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. Nevertheless, let each one of you in particular so love his own wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. These are the verses in the New Testament that are taken directly from Genesis chapter 2. You know, what God has joined together, let no man put asunder Leave father and mother, cleave to your wife to stay. Um, A godly marriage, it says right here, you know, will point people to Jesus Christ. A godly marriage is an example of Jesus' love for us and our submission to him. A godly marriage, uh, we get washed in his word. The world sees his love, the world sees the cross when she. The world sees a man laying down his life for his wife. It sees his faithfulness to us when he sees the spouses being faithful to each other. Our obedience and our submission to him. In Genesis 1.27, it says to be fruitful, multiply and fill the earth. And in Genesis 2.24, it says become one flesh. And now we talk about the physical aspect and that's in 1 Corinthians 6. Chapter 6, verses 13 through 18. What does it mean to become one flesh? Well, 1 Corinthians 6, just talking about uh, the problems in Corinth, but he makes a point about a particular problem that they're having. And verse 13, foods are for the stomach, and the stomach is for foods, but God will destroy both. Maybe we should go back to 12. All things are lawful for me, but all things are not helpful. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be brought under the power of any. You don't want to be brought back into slavery to sin. Foods for the stomach and the stomach for foods, but God will destroy both of it in them. And the body is not for sexual immorality, but for the Lord and for the Lord and the Lord for the body. We are the temple of the Holy Spirit. And God both raised up the Lord and will also raise up us by his power Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? And Shall I then take members of Christ and make them members of a harlot? Well, certainly not. Or do you not know that he who is joined to a harlot in one body with her, for the two, he says, shall become one flesh. But he who is joined to the Lord is one spirit with him. Flee sexual immorality. Every sin that a man does is outside the body, but he who commits sexual immorality sins against his own body. When Adam's talking about bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh, and when the Lord says the two will become one flesh, he's talking about that act of marriage, that union. We know the physical differences between a man and a woman. I'm sorry the days we're living in, it's hard to, not to get sidetracked. But you know, do you see any other design by God other than this one simple design? Do you see any other people included in this picture between the one man and the one woman Husband and wife? Is there any other, in, in anything that we've read so far in scriptures, in the book of Genesis, there's no room for anybody else. It's one man, one woman. And this is why Adam said, This is flesh of my flesh. This is why Ephesians says our bodies are not our own. And it's meant to be for love and to honor God. And this is why Genesis 2, verse 25, if you want to look at that, it's possible. Go back to Genesis. Otherwise, this is not possible. Genesis 2, verse 25. And they were both naked, the man and his wife. And look, they're not ashamed. It says, and they were not ashamed. No shame. Well, in order to see why, you have to kind of look at the opposite. If you'd turn with me to Leviticus 18, we'll see that that is where there is no shame in one husband, one wife. And Leviticus eighteen is the opposite. If to understand why there's no shame between a husband and a wife, you need to understand what shame is. And that's Leviticus eighteen with regards to all these things. Thanks for laboring through the word with me tonight. It's a labor. Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the children of Israel and say to them, I am the Lord your God. According to the doings of the land of Egypt that you came in, came from, where you dwelt, you shall not do. And according to the doings of the land of Canaan, where you're going to, where I'm bringing you to, you shall not do. Nor shall you walk in their ordinances, the stuff that they just practice all the time. They got it figured out and they got a day of a week to do it. It's their ordinances to walk with them. He says, I am the Lord your God. You shall therefore keep my statutes and my judgments, which if a man does, he will live by them. I am the Lord. Starting with Genesis chapter 2, verses 22 through 24. It says, none of you shall approach anyone who is near of kin to him to uncover his nakedness. I am the Lord. The nakedness of your father, the nakedness of your mother, you shall not uncover. She is your mother. Do not uncover her nakedness. The nakedness of your father's wife, You shall not uncover. It's your father's nakedness. The nakedness of your sister, the the daughter of your father, the daughter of your mother. Whether born at home or elsewhere, their nakedness you shall not uncover. The nakedness of your son's daughters or your daughter's daughter, their nakedness you shall not uncover. For theirs is their your for theirs is your own nakedness. The nakedness of your father's wife, daughter begotten to your father, she is your sister, you shall not uncover her nakedness. You shall not uncover the nakedness of your father's sister. She is near of kin to your father. You shall not uncover the nakedness of your mother's sister. For she is near of kin to your mother. You shall not uncover the nakedness of your father's brother. You shall not approach his wife. She is your aunt. You shall not uncover the nakedness of your daughter-in-law. She is your son's wife. You shall not uncover her nakedness. You shall not uncover the nakedness of your brother's wife and your brother's nakedness. You shall not uncover the nakedness of a woman who, and her daughter. Nor shall you take her son's daughter, her daughter's daughter, to uncover her nakedness. They are all near kin to her. It is wickedness. Nor shall you take a woman as a rival to her sister to uncover her nakedness while the other is alive. Also you shall not approach a woman to uncover the nakedness as long as she is in customary impurity. Moreover, of you shall not lie carnally with your neighbor's wife to defile her, with her yourself with her. You shall not let any of your descendants pass through the fire to Molech or profane the name of the Lord your God. I am the Lord. You shall not lie with a male as a woman. It is an abomination. You shall uh, mate. You shall, nor shall you mate with any animal to defile yourself with it. Nor shall a woman stand before an animal to mate with it. It's perversion. Do not defile yourselves with any of the things. For by these the nations are defiled which I am casting out before you. For the land is defiled, therefore I visit punishment of its iniquity upon it, and the land vomits out its inhabitants. You shall therefore keep my statutes and my judgments and shall not commit any of these abominations, either any of your own nation or any stranger who dwells among you. For all these abominations the men of the land have done who were before you, and thus the land is defiled, lest the land vomit you out, when you defile it, as it vomited out the nations that were before you. For whoever commits any of these abominations, the persons who commit them shall be cut off from among their people. Therefore you shall keep my ordinances, so that you do not commit any of these abominations, abominable customs which were committed before you, and that you do not defile yourselves by them. I am the Lord your God. Put a bookmark there and don't ever go back, isn't it? Who wants to see that? Who wants to read that? And I'm sorry, that's our society these days. Anything goes. Well, the land's going to vomit out a lot of things. I'm afraid. Um, you know, why not rather honor God and live the way He designed us to live? It's simple design. We know. We know. You know what uh, the differences are between a male and a female. Um, it's, that's just the simplest the way that he made things, to leave parents and cleave to one another. Um, this is how God made it to be, one man, one woman, husband, wife, in marriage for all the world to see as an example of how Christ loves the church. And it's impossible for us unless each lives and does this as unto the Lord. It's impossible for us to do this in our own strength. We're just as fallen and just as wicked. You know Romans chapter one, you know, the Lord turned them over. They know that God exists and by creation, and yet they were not thankful. He turns them over. They begin to continue to, to be ungrateful and begin to deny he there even is a God and he turns them over even further. By the time it's over with, they've they're committing all the worst of these abominations. We just read about, you know, doing things that are what it says not natural. Not natural. What we see in Genesis chapter one and chapter two is the most natural way God made it and intended it to be. And uh, one last passage here. 1 First, First Corinthians 6. I may have missed it earlier. Back to First Corinthians 6 again. Just 9 through 11. Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, be deceived neither fornicators nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor homosexuals, nor sodomites, nor thieves, nor covetousness, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners will inherit the kingdom of God. Verse 11, And such were some of you. you want to read that list again? You know, and such were some of you. But you were washed, you were sanctified, You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. You know, God made us to be like this. It's impossible for us to walk in this without His Holy Spirit. You know, all other motives will fail. If we're doing it as unto the Lord, you know, then we're doing it as unto the Lord. We're obeying the Lord. It doesn't have anything to do with the other person, the the spouse because you're you're doing this as unto the Lord. And so as such the Lord's patient. The Lord's gracious. The Lord's merciful. The Lord's full of forgiveness. And so we can be the same towards each other. You know, we can be patient. We can be gracious. We can be merciful when mercy's needed. We can be full of forgiveness when forgiveness is needed if we're doing it as unto the Lord. There's not a reason we can't. We can be the same towards each other as unto him and doing it for him and not for yourself. I'm all done and we're 10 minutes early. And it's kind of good because I have an announcement. Um, But let's pray first. Lord, this is your word and you are God. You did create us like this and designed us like this. And Lord, there's so much more in your word about marriage and uh, husband and wife. And and, uh, Lord, we just want to make sure that we're honoring you with our lives. And so we pray that by your Holy Spirit, you would give us the strength, the power, the wisdom just to uh, walk the way you've called us to walk, to live the way you've called us to live until you bring us to yourself. And Lord, we do put our hope in that. And whatever it is we've got to endure that makes these things difficult to do, I pray, Lord, that you'd be uh, just keeping our eyes focused on your kingdom to come so that we could put our hope in that and not put our hope in anything in this life because sooner or later everybody will let us down. And uh, yet you'll never let us down and you'll keep us till you come. So, Lord, we just pray that you'd be with us and uh, bring us to yourself. In Jesus' name, amen.